and welcome to Stand Tall, my podcast show. I look forward to sharing interviews and talks with and about people that create change, make an incredible difference and walk their talk. Everyone has their story, so stay with me as I about the layers of excellence in all walks of life. I first met my next guest, Clyde Campbell, more than three years ago. Soon after I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, Clyde came over to my house and we sat together in my dining room discussing what the new stage of life means. This is just the kind of man Clyde is, a positive beam of light for Parkinson's people and their families. Clyde was diagnosed 10 years ago. He went straight to the most well-known and respected person in Parkinson's, Michael J. Fox, and together with Michael J. Fox's backing, Clyde set up the Shake It Up Foundation. What makes the Shake It Up Foundation so unique is that 100% of all donations go towards slowing down, stopping or finding a cure. At present, the Shake It Up Foundation is at the research cutting edge. Clyde is also an engineer in robotics. He has the uncanny ability to deconstruct problems. Then he's been able to apply his engineering background to the research of PD. It was an absolute pleasure to sit down with Clyde and have a chat with him. Clyde is my friend and in many respects a mentor. And I'm sure that many people will get a lot out of this podcast, whether they've got Parkinson's or whether they know someone's got Parkinson's. Clyde's message is very positive. Good morning, Clyde. How are you this morning? Yeah, really well, Andy. And yourself? Very well, thank you, mate. Uh, How are you and the family holding up? Yeah, mate, it's one of those challenging times, I suppose, for us all um, in a different space. We've got the kids home from uni and uh, um, our one at high school is uh, doing school by remote. So, yeah, it's a different place. I must say, I just saw you on the video and you're looking great. Mate, yeah, well, I've been out, had my run and uh, done my hours exercise this morning, so it's the way I start the day. I must admit, I was a little nervous about this interview. It's a fine line asking what I believe to be a personal questions about one's health, but I'm just going to jump in. Mate, go for it. How, how is the uh, overall um, uh, current situation with your Parkinson's? Mate, like all of us, we have some great days and we have some days that are a bit challenging uh, along the way. Uh, for myself, uh, if I get the right amount of sleep, um, ensure I get out and exercise, uh, medicate the, the way I, I know works for me, I can get past most days pretty well. Um, just sometimes it doesn't work and we all know that for different reasons. Um, we just got to pin those reasons down and try and not do them. I agree with you 100%. What, what does an average day look like for you now Now we're in the lockdown? Well, we've been playing it pretty safe, so um, we don't get out of home very much at all, um, apart from the exercise part. I find our exercise really important for me. Um, but that can be quite different now. You know, can, uh, when we run, we're running in places that there aren't as many people around um, and then getting back isolated again to do things like our seven-minute workouts, which I find are good just to build a bit of uh, body strength. Excellent. And I, I think you, you, you mentioned that you've been doing some of the PD Warrior. Mate, the PD Warrior stuff is fantastic. Um, yeah, Melissa does a fantastic job there <clears throat> and always um, keen to be able to learn on how to be able to do things that could make a difference to all of our Parkinson's, you know, short term but then longer term. Of, uh, can uh, some of those neuroplasticity things really assist our Parkinson's, which I think they can. 
How has the current events affected the foundation and research? We've got a short-term and a long-term view on where we're up to. Uh, short-term, a lot of our researchers uh, are out of um, their research environment because they've had to lock down those hospitals and locations. Um, so there is going to be a sort of a, a two-, three-month delay in, in some of that, which is understandable. We've got to keep everyone safe. Um, and then on the longer-term part, we need to look at how do we, uh, you know, everyone's got a different financial position at the present time. And um, we've got to be respectful of that. Uh, but what we need to look at as a foundation is how do we get back to where we were in, um, in support of research? And that comes from people donating funds to make that happen on, ongoing. I think that you guys do a fantastic job. As you know, I'm fully supportive of what you guys do. It's just great to see that you've got a mature approach to the, the entire outlook. But, yeah, it's something that we all need to play our part. Um, I think uh, the COVID side of things is going to affect everyone uh, in different ways. But people with Parkinson's, what we don't want to see is them isolated even further than what they could be challenged to get out and about, you know, just with Parkinson's because of COVID. So, um, yeah, we all need to do our part there of trying to make sure we look after each other along the way. I understand that the, the Shake It Up Foundation, which, which you're the founder, is intrinsically connected with the Michael J. Fox Foundation? Yeah, I'm a great believer of whatever you do, make sure you do it the highest level you can um, and try and learn off others and also how do you be able to get uh, an ability to be able to step up with other people. So back when I was diagnosed a bit over 10 years ago now, um, had a look around Australia for researchers, found some really good researchers, uh, I thought, but how do we make sure we had a strategic focus that wasn't going to duplicate things that were happening around the world? And that's when we come across the Michael J. Fox Foundation and they've been absolutely sensational to get on with. Um, very good people, very focused on finding ways to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's. And they've managed to fund dollar for dollar for us in Australia for our research projects here. Excellent. Last time we spoke, you were cautiously excited about a couple of possible therapies. Where, where does that stand now? Yes, we have a few different things on the way through, which is you know, fantastic to have. Um, things such as the Australian Parkinson's Mission, which was a, a, an organisation that um, we were part of back, or we started about three years ago now. We we're fortunate to be able to win uh, for some federal government funding for some research projects on how to be able to repurpose compounds out of other illnesses and get them into Parkinson's trials. And that starts, it was meant to start this month, but because of COVID, we've had to put it back until we can actually get a stable platform to, to actually um, do our trials off. And um, hopefully that will kick off in the next few months. Um, <clears throat> that's for repurposing drugs. And then there's other novel compounds such as Implazone. And Implazone is an Australian compound, uh, targets inflammation in the brain. Um, it, it, it was scheduled to go into phase two trials in December. Uh, unfortunately, with the COVID side, we'll move back until the first quarter of next year. But again, it's looking as a very positive compound to be able to make a difference and to slow and stop Parkinson's. Fantastic. How has Parkinson's changed your life, Clyde? Um, I know we've spoken a couple of times and you said that you've, you've adapted really well. Yeah, for myself, uh, I suppose I come from an engineering background and um, that's all about how do you, you've got things going wrong all the time and how do you fix it. So 
my focus isn't on what's wrong, it's on what, how do you make it right um, and put all my energy into that side of it. Look, Parkinson's definitely has affected my life and, and Michael says it's a blessing. I'd find that uh, a little bit hard to be able to say it's a blessing by well, any means. Yeah, very much so. Uh, yeah, Parkinson sucks. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we, it is what it is, mate. Let's um, not um, get wallowing in what we have. Let's make a difference in what we can do. So, mate, it definitely curtails what you can do, and uh, but it also makes you appreciate what you can do in a different way. So it's not all bad. I remember when I was first diagnosed and you sat in my, in my dining room and you said to me that it's not the end of the journey, it's the beginning of the journey about what you can do. Mate, very much so. We need to focus on what we can achieve. Um, as there's always you know, plenty of negativity in the world, we don't have to play in that area ourselves. And there is a lot of challenge that comes with Parkinson's, but you don't fall off a cliff. It is the good part of Parkinson's, it's a slow disease. It's also the bad part is it's a neurodegenerative disease, but on the good part, uh, we ha- have time to be able to find ways to slow, stop and cure the disease um, in, in, I believe, our lifetimes. We discussed a couple of times um, the, the effect of fasting on Parkinson's and you and I have got completely different outcomes to our experimentation with fasting. What's your take on it being the intermittent fasting Everyone gets a different result with medication or environmental practice or things such as um, fasting or when they eat their food relative to their medication. For myself, um, I I was doing fasting and um, I found early in the day it was very good because the the drugs in your normal uh, cinnamon-type drug would um, not have anything to compete with in the stomach, so you would get very reliable uptake. But the problem that I had is when I got past, you know, the 2 o'clock sort of time when you'd start to eat again, uh, when I did do that, at 5 o'clock I'd be very, very tremorish um, because I had something to eat and probably ate a little bit too much because you're hungry uh, and that would compete too much with the cinnamon at that time for myself. And then by the time I got to, you know, mid-evening, I was starting to balance back out again. It sounds very reminiscent of my own experience, but I, I've had slightly different variations of that. And how do you find the fasting yourself? Yeah, really good. I I find that it really the the efficacy of the of the cinnamon was really being affected by the protein that I was eating. So just having no an empty stomach from from morning until about five in the afternoon really really helps me to adjust throughout the day. Yeah, if you can flatten some of those areas out that can cause a big bounce in your symptoms, man, it makes a big dif- makes a great difference to what your quality of life is. That seven years when I first met you to ten years has gone very fast, Clyde. <laughs> it has gone very quick, hasn't it? Yeah, you're sounding great though. You mentioned it. Um, you have a great interest in robotics, and you, you you're very experienced in robotics, having having. Um, run a very successful company, are you still involved with robotics? We certainly are, yes. Uh, <clears throat> robotics is something um, I've got a love for and a passion for. Um, it's great to be able to have, take in new engineers and be able to skill them in that area. And Australia's got some really innovative thinkers. Um, so I, where my um, main tasks in the robot, robotics side was to be able to find new applications 
um, that would be more innovative um, because Australia's got a high cost base. So we can't just do generic things or we'll never compete on the world scene. So how to be able to find ways to be able to... We, we did a lot with sensor-guided robotics where we take x-rays or we would take images in three-dimensional space and then robotically go and do things with that, that, that data. Um, there could be things like refueling the mining trucks or you know, uh, cutting up uh, beef carcasses um, with, with x-ray-driven robots. Absolutely fascinating. I have visions of Blade Runner and um, <laughs> and cyborgs. And uh, is that is that part of the reality, or is that something which is um, just sci-fi? Yeah, it, that's part of the areas. I suppose it's emotionally attached to sometimes the robotic scene. Um, the harsh reality is what our robots are actually targeted at is jobs that are dangerous, that are too heavy for humans to be able to do. And, um, you know, things such as that, the robot does a wonderful job at. Uh, you know, people have got so many sensing skills and they we're never going to do without people in our manufacturing space, but we need to be able to utilise them in the best spots and put the robots in the hard spots. It's, I've seen of late that some of the robotics in, in some of these surgery scenarios have been very successful. Yeah, most, most definitely, <clears throat> because we can take an image very, very accurately and then robotically be able to go and do something with that um, in, in a surgical sense. So it's not up to the, the, actual, um, the, med- the, the actual surgeon on the first time to be able to you know, put a probe in or cut a certain area. They can see that previously on a screen and go and animate it and then go forward and actually do the, the, the task that's at hand and, and do it completely accurately with a full image uh, knowing uh, where they're going or what they're doing. So, yeah, pretty special stuff, I think. Has your expertise in robotics crossed over into, into Parkinson's research? But it's more, I suppose, the innovation side that's, cha- that's crossed over. Um, what we found as a company, you know, we grew a company from two people up to a bit over 100 working nationally and internationally um, before we sold it to a public company. Um, and it's more the way of thinking on how to be able to do innovation and how to challenge what the norms have been uh, to what we'd like them to look like. You know, Parkinson's has been around 200 years. Um, it's a long time not to have a way to be able to cure the disease. So we need to do things differently or we're going to end up with the same result as we've had for the last 200 years. You touched, I touched on before the fact that you set up, you set up this foundation and it's doing incredibly. Is this something that you just fell into or was it a strategic move to set this foundation up so you could draw on all your expertise and the expertise of the people around you so that, so that you can have something which is very special? Um, really, I was only had two concerns or surprises when I was diagnosed. The first one, I was 44 and had been bulletproof healthy. And the second one was there's no cure. Um, so if we focus on there's no cure, it's not going to get us anywhere. So if we're, we are going to focus on being able to find ways to change the disease. Uh, we had the right researchers, but they didn't have the funding. So they couldn't work on Parkinson's or they were going elsewhere internationally. So... We didn't really want a foundation. What we wanted to do is how do we make a difference to research in Australia? Um, But that led us to, because there was no one specifically funding research uh, in the private area, uh, that's what led us to set up the foundation and then partner with Michael J. Fox Foundation to make sure we could get the leverage right. 
Yeah, well, you're doing a, it's doing a fantastic job. But it is as a group. Um, what what we find is, I suppose, is if we can get a team of people, will go a heck of a lot further than individuals. Um, and there's just so many people that do contribute um, in different ways to shake it up. Uh, and that's what makes a big difference. You know, we're all in it for the, the right reasons. How do we be able to find a way to cure this disease so we can all go home and enjoy what we're doing day to day? I think from from the experience that, that you and I have had with this, it's it's quite prevalent uh, amongst young people as well, as much as an old people's illness. Yeah, that's what was surprising to myself when I was diagnosed at 44. But, you know, there's a lot, a lot of people younger than that being diagnosed. Um, you know, Michael was 29 when he was diagnosed. Um, he was pretty young uh, to be able to live with the disease. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, uh, as we're living longer, Parkinson's is becoming a, a bigger quantum of disease in the, in the Australian and the international place. One thing that I haven't asked you that I really want to ask you is about the fundraising trek you did last year. Ah, yes. Uh, that looked fascinating. It looked so good. And as you know, I, want, I wanted to come on it, but because of the ankle operation I had, it would have been too difficult. But these treks that the Shagada Foundation organises are just wonderful. Yeah, this one was one we did to Lara Pinto out in the middle of Australia. And uh, it was six days um, camping out in swags, um, it was just a fantastic uh, week, I suppose, to be able to hang out with other people. Um, most of them had Parkinson's or they were the supporter of a person that had Parkinson's there. Um, I was expecting it to be, you know, relatively easy, I suppose, but the treks were completely off uh, track uh, areas, you know, rocky environments, unstable grounds. So thank goodness we didn't uh, take you on it, mate, with a bad ankle because it was really difficult on that side of things of rolling ankles or knees. Um, but, yeah, just a you know, it's fantastic country. You know, we, we were getting up sort of early in the morning, uh, maybe 3 o'clock, get out, out there ready to hike. Uh, so we'd hike for a couple of hours before the sun come up so we could see the sunrise. Um, but it was, yeah, really good, really good time out. Yeah, I saw the photos are great. Yeah, and there was a whole lot of different people from, you know, young onset people with Parkinson's to uh, some of our older team were you know, in their late 70s, um, you know, people doing it with their son or their daughter or their family actually come along. And it was just a, you could just see a hell of an experience in all their faces. What advice would you give to someone that's recently diagnosed with Parkinson's? That's a difficult one, I suppose, because everyone gets a different Parkinson's and everyone thinks about things in a different way. Um, I'd encourage them to be able to you know, t- slow down. Um, it's not something that you need to solve everything day one. Uh, and it takes time for that to sink in and find out what does it really mean for you. Um, you know, don't stop doing what you're doing. Um, you know, that could be the, one of the worst things, I suppose, is that, you uh, get diagnosed and you go into your own little cocoon uh, and that's a difficult spot to come out of. So, yeah, take a longer-term view and, uh, and also and just ensure you get out and do the things that you normally would do. As a, as a, a leader in your field and someone that is, uh, in many respects, kind of the voice of, of young onset Parkinson's and Parkinson's in Australia at the moment, what drives your client? Um, yeah, the, the 
family is you know number one drive for myself. Um, you, you look to teach them how to be able to how they should live their life, but vice versa, they teach you a lot about uh, new things that you need to be able to challenge yourself to along the way. So I suppose for myself, it's about how to build a better tomorrow. Um, it's we are where we are uh, as far as the disease and many other things in our life. But tomorrow is really up to what we want to make it, and uh, that's the way I always look at where we're where we're heading to. Yeah, fantastic! You're you're the the consummate um, positive thinker, and that rubs off into everyone that you you touch. So I'm really pleased and blessed that I could spend this time with you this morning and just have an informal chat about some things in, in relation to Parkinson's in your life. So thank you very much for joining me this morning, Klein. More than welcome, Andy. It's always good to catch up with you, mate. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Talk soon.